0: I need to tell them exactly what I want, because if I don't, nobody else will. So again, I liked trying to keep that emotion out of it. Just It helped keep me on track, and I could cry later, (laughs) which I did.
1: Welcome to Wild Peace, a place where parents of kids who struggle can come together for camaraderie, inspiration, and support. If a child in your life faces learning and attentional challenges, developmental differences, or mental health concerns, this is for you. I'm your host, Kendra Wild. Hey friends, I'm so glad you're here. This is the ninth episode of Wild Peace for Parents, and I would love, love to hear from you. If you're enjoying this, would you please leave a review? A quick tap on the stars and a positive comment will let us know we're on the right track and also make it easier for others to find us. If you have a great guest idea or other suggestions, you can connect at www.wildpeace.org. Okay, thank you so much. I know when I hear this kind of plea on other podcasts, I usually click the forward 30 seconds button. So if you just listened through that, I really hope you'll leave a kind review today. All right, on to the show. You know, it seems like every parent who's been in the special ed system considers IEP meetings one of the most stressful parts of raising a kid who learns or processes or functions differently. In case you're new to special education, IEP stands for Individualized Education Programme. It's a process where you sit down with all the educators involved with your child to determine what kinds of services and accommodations your child needs to be successful in school. Entering this world for the first time is kind of like being dropped on another planet. I just have to share my version, which I think is sort of the typical folklorish story of a first IEP meeting. It goes like this. You walk into the room and you're confronted by this long conference table, and all across the opposite side are people already seated, some familiar faces, some you've you've never seen. And they all have paperwork about your child in front of them. And as you slowly take in the scene, you note there's a Kleenex box ever so thoughtfully placed right next to your seat. <laughs> and, and you start to get that out- of body like queasy feeling, like, what is happening? And as the meeting begins, people start speaking about your child, but they're using acronyms and other terms you've never heard before, and they don't necessarily make sense in the context of a sentence. Sometimes the people are talking about results of tests that aren't familiar to you. And overall, you realize there's just some sort of unwritten process they're following, kind of like parliamentary procedure, you know, and you're totally missing it. Whether you're a newbie or you're more of a veteran, it can still be challenging because it's your kid's education on the line. Just lay your heart out there and you have to know how to advocate without crumbling. The emotional pressure can be so intense. So now that we're all on the same page, I want to introduce you to my guest today. Karen Kicker is a mom from Illinois who has ushered three kids with learning differences through the special education system. It just so happened that her employer moved out of state at the same time that her daughter's struggles were hitting a high. During that little reprieve from work, Karen realized she had a steep learning curve to climb to help her daughter. Karen is so candid about her experience, what she learned, how she grew and hearing her hard-earned tips and tricks will make you feel more confident about facing your own IEP process. So, I am honored to introduce you to Karen Kicker. Just so many parents describe IEP meetings as one of the most stressful parts of raising a kid who learns or processes or functions differently. So, can you start by giving us a quick overview of your experience in the special ed system? Absolutely. My journey began
0: really unexpectedly. I'm a mother of four. My oldest daughter is my stepdaughter, and she was pretty easy through mm-hmm. her schooling years. And then my firstborn was in elementary school, and I was noticing some patterns with her that were concerning. She was late to read, although very articulate. There were kids in kindergarten that were recognizing letters and things like that. And I started to raise some concerns to the school. And for the most part, everyone was, you know, she'll be fine. She'll get mm-hmm. on track. This is not to be, you know, don't worry. And that sort of went on until fifth grade, where I really said, okay. My gut's telling me something's really not right here and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, you know, attention deficit or something. And I say that really kind of flippantly now, but at the time I, Mm -hmm. so I thought I've heard about this ADHD thing and could it be that, (laughs) you know, I had left a time consuming career and I was fortunate that I had some time as I was rediscovering my next steps in life. I had time to really focus on my kids in a time when, They obviously really needed me. So long story short, there was something wrong and not wrong, but there was something that was different about my daughter and then my other two kids as well. So I was right. My gut was right.
1: Yeah. And it's so tough, isn't it? When you look back at that first one and it took, you know, three or five years to convince yourself and everyone else that there was something going on. Truly. And the thing that is even worse I
0: started noticing these patterns earlier than in fifth grade really had concerns. And my oldest daughter did not get her IEP until she was in eighth grade. So you really don't know what you don't know. <laughs> there is yeah. There needs to be a whole class, I think of how to get an IEP or how to understand the system and all the moving parts and what each role the individuals within those meetings play in your mm-hmm. child's development or lack thereof. Because each one holds a key <laughs> to success. Right. Or and in some cases, it's a choice. They can choose to make it or they can choose not to. So that first IEP meeting, when I went in, I realized very quickly how unprepared I was. I walked in and there were just this battery of people sitting around a table, and there was myself. And I thought, holy crap, what did I get myself into? I didn't really understand what the IEP was. The school doesn't really give you that information necessarily. I think they assume you know if your child is struggling that you're going to have an IEP meeting. The whole process, there's just really no clear path or outline on how to do it. It varies from state to district to city schools, suburban schools. So it's challenging.
1: Mm-hmm. So just zooming out, what do you think makes IEP meetings so tough? What do you think makes them so difficult for us?
0: I think a large part is it's such an emotional process. I think for, it's our children for one. And again, most of us are not experts in Areas of special education. We trust the schools to provide us with a path on how best to help our kids. And that's not always the case. There's so much more that goes into it, administrative, just don't realize. And so we always, in our case, I should say, I always just feel that we kind of marched to different drums. It was the school wanted, or the, the district wanted something, the teachers. For the most part, we're always with us and trying to help the students. But I also felt there was a lot of roadblocks for the teachers, for the staff at the schools. And then, you know, the district had its own set of sort of goals that they wanted to reach. So there's just a lot of moving parts. So it's hard to understand. And especially if you're kind of doing it solo which I was at the time, my mm-hmm. husband and I, we didn't know. So it was really, for us, we had to educate ourselves quickly in realizing that at the end of the day, the people that care most about our children's educations is us. We're the only ones that are really going to be advocating for her. And so that had to become our primary goal. And fortunately, in the time this was occurring, like I said, I was sort of in transition and and really was able to immerse myself in this process and try to learn as much as I could from tons of different people. I asked lots of questions. I got on support groups on Facebook and thank mm-hmm. goodness for the internet.
1: No kidding.
0: Yeah. Our neuropsych sort of guided me into some places where I was able to understand the legal piece of mm-hmm. IEP because that was something that I didn't even know was connected to an IEP. So again, there's so much, it's such a broad scope of moving parts. So Mm -hmm. very difficult to manage. And unfortunately a lot of people don't have the time to do what I was able to do in that period of my life, working families with, you know, dual earners, not around, Again, trusting the school to sort of pick up where, you know, time doesn't allow them to, Mm -hmm. it's,
1: yeah, it's challenging. Did it take you a while to find your voice? I know it's, it's one thing is the technicalities of just understanding what your rights are, how the process works, who's sitting around the table, what their interests are. But what about just getting to the point that you felt confident that you know your kids?
0: There was such a huge learning curve, certainly with my first. That was a mess. Mm -hmm. I did something really unique and a lot of people advised me to do this. And so I did. I tape recorded my meetings Mm -hmm. with the permission of the school. I would tape record those meetings. And that was in hindsight in for my later two kids. That was a really valuable tool for me. I could go back and listen to the meetings and I could sort of discern the key points, having gone through it already. Mm-hmm. There's a whole language that became really apparent and important. There were certain buzzwords. Anytime I used social, emotional behavior or health, that was always key. So, and that was just one example of a phrase that maybe that would be talked about within a meeting. and. So there's a language that goes with these IEP meetings that is really important to know. So I certainly, in hindsight, utilize those recordings to sort of help me feel more confident and also understanding the role that I have to play as sort of an unemotional party within those meetings. I cannot Mm -hmm. myself to fall prey to the emotions that are naturally there. You have to be really focused After the you know my first child, I always had notes. I always had sort of an outline of what I wanted to accomplish, what I wanted to say, and that really helped keep me on track. A lot of people might have an advocate that can help them and sit alongside them in a meeting, and that's wonderful. We didn't have the financial means to do that, so again, it was really on myself and my husband and my community of people that sort of helped educate me to propel me forward and to be able to make confident contributions to these meetings.
1: Mm -hmm. It's interesting because some parents tell me they feel like sharing some emotion makes everyone in the room feel invested. But I'm curious to know, how did you learn to manage the emotional part and find the right balance? I think it's such a good idea that you listen to the recordings. Maybe you figured it out from there. I did, and I
0: learned... I learned very early that I couldn't bite the hand that would ultimately feed me. And yes. I had to really walk that line. There were times where I was so incredibly frustrated with the system, with the people in the room. Always my comment was, can't lives on Won't Street. You know, they would say, we can't do that. <laughs> and I'd say, can't lives on Won't Street. And <laughs> I was just so frustrated because I knew they could and they just were choosing not to. So... The emotion was good, but it also kind of got everybody off track. And so for me, although the staff certainly knows me now, (laughs) they know (laughs) how I operate. They know, you know, my I don't operate from a malicious center that my desires are truly just to help my kids. This isn't arbitrary for me. I'm not making things up. I have a family history. It was easier for the other two because I'd already had all this stuff done. So that was great. But for my daughter, the emotional piece for me, just I lost my focus. And mm-hmm. so the investment was really already there. I had a lot of good teachers that were lifting me up in this process, keeping me invested, telling me you're on the right track it's so funny because a lot of them can't help you per se, but they certainly in my case directed me to a degree to say, Hey, you know, maybe send an email to the school saying you want X, Y, and Z. So I would do that. And so I learned very quickly that, Hey, if I want something, I need to email it. I need to be specific. I can't be general. I need to tell them exactly what I want because if I don't, nobody else will. So again, I liked trying to keep that emotion out of it. Just, it helped keep me on track and I could cry later,
1: (laughs) which I did. (laughs) Just like, get back out to the car and then lose it.
0: (laughs) Oh, and you know what? That's so true. I think, I think you could talk to, you know, eight out of 10 parents will tell you after those meetings, you literally get in your car and you cry. I did it so often, so often that it was comedic. And, you know, the thing too is a really important thing that I'd always try to remember is that a lot of these individuals in that room are not experts in special ed. They are general teachers. They may have, you know, reading specialists and the administrators and district people that might be there in a lot of cases have been far removed from an educational setting that's really hands-on with kids for a while. You know, they're Mm -hmm. purely administrative, speaking on half of the district. So again, no one's an expert in that room more than you are. So that was empowering for me when I learned like, hey, wait a minute, as scary as that is, these teachers and administrators don't know much about my child's specific learning disability. And that propelled me to want to learn more so that I would know more.
1: Yeah. And it also sounds like you got teachers to be on your side. And it's just so helpful to have someone aligned with you from the inside or from the other side. (laughs) Truly. My son
0: at one point was doing an assignment and it was a graphic organizer for an in-class debate. And my son is very articulate and they wanted him to fill out this particular sheet. And so he did. And then they did this debate and they posed these questions to him. And then he gave the answers and, and did the debate. And it was great and just the best, really elevated. Everybody's learning in the class. And afterwards, he got his grade and we got a C. And... What? he was so confused. He didn't understand why he got the C. And when he pushed the teacher, the teacher said, well, your graphic organizer didn't have the same type of information on it that you used when you spoke. Mm -hmm. Well, my son has an IEP. There's the writing component for him. And he then wrote in an email to the teacher, It was heartbreaking. And I wish I had it in front of me to tell you what exactly it said, but basically, Mm -hmm. Uh and it was so choppy and you couldn't see, I knew what he was trying to say, but I mean, the spelling was wrong and just, he was missing, you know, prepositions and capitals and periods and all sorts of things. But it basically, the gist of it was, it doesn't matter what I write down Mm -hmm. because I wouldn't have been able to read it anyway. And he wrote that in an email and Aww. to his teacher and i tell you when i saw that the teacher forwarded it to me cuz my son didn't show it to me mm-hmm. the teacher sent it to me and that email propelled me in a way that nothing else could have and that was a teacher that did that for me and it really helped get my son a lot of services that he needed because it was my son articulating in the m- most raw form to say, listen, it doesn't matter. He gave up, basically. It doesn't matter what I do because I can't read it. He might as well have said, I'm just dumb because that's truly mm-hmm. I think, how he felt. So it was pretty heartbreaking. But I am so grateful for that teacher that really, in the way they could, helped me help him. So it was good.
1: Oh. That's amazing that he advocated for himself and he didn't even realize he was giving this perfect evidence right there in the email. (laughs) Truly. And you know what?
0: My oldest daughter, she always articulated. She was your teacher's pet. She was always able to say, (laughs) I need this. I need to be in the front. I need X, Y, and Z. That was her benefit. And my youngest, she might as well just write the IEP herself because she's so well versed at it. She comes into the meetings with me now and she's a seventh grader, but she came in as a sixth grader and would sit down and she would articulate exactly what she's struggling with within each class, how she's not able to read from the board. And, and it's great. And everybody really listens to her. And I think, wow, had I known <laughs> I would bring my kid in here all the time, but I don't advise doing that, but I, you know, she's smart enough and been around enough to know sort of, what she needs, and you know, she's an interesting one. So she's gifted in that regard. So it was really nice to see my son advocate for himself because he typically never would. He was one of those guys that just was like, "Okay, it's just everything's kind of happening to me, and I'll just go along." And even though my IEP says that I get extended time, the teacher didn't let me get it. So I guess I just will go home, <laughs> you know. And i feel like, "Oh, you have extended time. Tell them you have extended time." So. It was good that he did that.
1: Do you think that the bar is set right for supporting kids in school? It seems like when parents go into that first meeting and it's the eligibility meeting and they're trying to prove this kid needs help, do you feel like that is a high bar? It sounds like from what you were saying earlier that it's not as if the teachers and the school and the administrators are sweeping around pointing out everyone who needs help. They definitely do not initiate, initiate
0: services for sure, at least not in my experience. And I've got a lot of it. And I went into that first meeting and I had a neuropsych 33 page report documenting my family history and my daughter's, all the things that they, the battery of tests that she went through. And Mm. even with that, the school wanted to do more testing. Because for whatever reason, that neuropsych evaluation wasn't good enough for them. Interesting Hmm. enough, when I, for my other kids, I realized that, you know, I could go and get that neuropsych as well, but I could just tell the school or ask the school to do a battery of Test on my children. And I knew specifically which ones to ask for, which was good. Mm-hmm. But if I asked for like, I think there's something wrong. And I think we should do some, you know, evaluating and here's some evaluations. I think that they could utilize. If the school did that themselves, that was a far better result for me. And it wasn't as contentious with the staff as if had I gone out and got the neuropsych. The neuropsych I think was offensive to them for whatever reason, that I didn't trust them. So right off the bat, I got the sense with that neuropsych that it was sort of a, I don't trust you with my kid and figuring out what's wrong, so I went above you. So Hmm. working really hand in hand with the school and allowing them as hard as it is to be a part of that journey with you was helpful for my other two. But again, if you don't know, <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. I didn't know that. So the bar is incredibly high and you do have to prove. And even when you have proof, again, the school isn't always so readily wanting to say, yes, I'll give you an IEP. Like I said, with my oldest, fifth grade was really where we got serious, sixth grade, she had a 504, but I did not get that IEP for her till eighth grade. And I literally was battling that whole time. It was emotional. And I finally got it for her three months before she went to high school.
1: Oh, my. Yeah. It was crazy. You told me to ask you about the 17% story. Does it have something to do with that? Well, yeah. So, again, my daughter, she
0: performs in my, all my kids perform well on these, you know, if it's a WIST or whatever it might've been. And, you know, the bar is 17%. That's, that's the lowest that, you know, you could be before services would be approved. And I always thought, so 17%, we're going to be okay with 17%. And I'm in a school district that's ranked number five in the state of Illinois. And so we're okay at 17%. Mm. I, it's baffling to me that that was a standard in which the school was going to be okay. And I thought, no, it's, just, it's still to this day, it's crazy to me to think that
1: they would be okay at 17%. So one of the things that is hard for me, I think that isn't often talked about is that you can spend all this time trying to get your child supported and get them on an IEP. And during that time, your child's self-esteem is eroding. And then You know, if that affects their whole self-concept, they're less likely to participate in other things. They have, maybe it affects their friendships and, and you just don't know, like, what is that damage? Did you ever see that? I did really with my oldest daughter.
0: It was scary. She didn't have a ton of friends. You know, we had her tutored while we were trying to get this IEP. I just, she was being tutored constantly. So it was, she'd work all day at school. She'd go to the tutor and then come home and eat dinner. And then it would all start over. It was like the worst form of, you know, Groundhog Day ever. So (laughs) socially, she just really, really struggled. She didn't find a ton of value in herself. And she wasn't making a ton of progress. And Mm. at least she didn't see the progress. It wasn't being shown through grades or, you know, wasn't really tangible for her. So we really stopped all of that. I saw this sort of spiral starting to happen and it was scary There it was some really tough times for us. And so I pulled her from all of that. And I told her, I said, okay, you can choose anything you want to do for fun. We're just going to do something fun. You're going to just be a kid. We're not going to worry about this academic stuff for a bit. What is it that you want to do? And she said, you know, I want to play hockey. And so it was really in the next year where she Instead of going to the tutor after school, we, you know, three days a week, we'd be at the rink. And it was through that, that I really saw her transform. Wow. And that was fantastic. But again, there was so much damage. And even now I see remnants of that early, not the school ignoring her, but that, that early struggle, it rears its head even now at Mm. 18 I see sort of the damage that the early years it did, you know, had done for her. So it doesn't go yeah. away.
1: And when you compare that to, say, your youngest kid, you know, the oh. what are they called? You always have to mess up the first pancake. Oh, gosh, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My old, she's the first pancake.
0: Yeah. My youngest, you know, she had early interventions.
1: Mm-hmm. We
0: were just on top of it. Academically, she's high honor roll. She, you know, she's just high achieving and so different, her self-esteem because she didn't have to manage the struggle in the way that my oldest did. And so Mm -hmm. really my oldest and I, we were in the trenches together. By the time my last one, I had it all wrapped up and I could just be like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're done, you know, Mm -hmm. we were experts at that point. So she's not void of some of the damages because she certainly is aware where she struggles, but she's also... Mm -hmm not afraid to pronounce like listen I struggle here because of this and she owns it and she throws her shoulder back and owns it and you know she's a unique confident kid but she also doesn't like to see how people are excelling in ways that maybe she doesn't excel as quickly
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's hard for all of us (laughs) yeah for, for sure for sure yeah But so that's just such a great, beautiful story because it's such an argument for early intervention and just believing in yourself and pushing early if you notice anything going sideways. Yes, I see a lot of kids and I always think, oh, I wish my kids had a little bit more of that.
0: And really what that is, is that confidence in everything they do, because it doesn't just present itself in your academic environment. It bleeds everywhere. So it bleeds at home. It bleeds with friendships. It bleeds with, you know, you're confident. It spreads everywhere. So mm-hmm. I really wish my kids had a little bit more of that swag. And I think my youngest does have more than my older two for sure. And again, a lot of that just goes back to, you know, I know I knew a little bit more. I was able to help a little bit sooner and the effects didn't present themselves you know, we kind of nipped it in the bud before it really got into those years where she's going through puberty and trying to figure so much else out. This was the piece mm-hmm. that she didn't really have to. So that was really helpful.
1: It's interesting when I think about how lucky your kids are to have an advocate like you. And it just makes me wonder about all those kids whose parents either don't have the time or the awareness or the knowledge. I mean, is there a disparity in the kind of services you think kids get depending on who's speaking up for them? Absolutely. I am that parent for kindergarten to fifth
0: grade. I was not necessarily aware. I just had a life circumstance happen where I found myself at home. And it's funny how that path was so needed in my life. My husband and I say it all the time, that how fortunate we were that I had this time to engage in my children's lives. Cause otherwise I don't know what would have happened. My kids wouldn't have gotten the services. I don't think yeah. because I just wouldn't have had the time to do it. So again, they're not necessarily offering services, especially if in my kids cases, you know, they have this just, it's a specific learning disability. So a lot of times it's not seen And that was always something that I challenged the the school on. I always thought, listen, if my child, let's say physically disabled and wasn't able to be in gym, you would excuse that. But my child who you can't see their disability has a different type of challenge in the sense that most people then say, well, then it doesn't exist. So that too is one of those challenges where you had to prove that, yes, even though it's not seen, it is there. And even though my child is super articulate, super creative, has all these, you know, can come up with answers that don't follow the norms, Mm -hmm. the disability is still there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in my kid's case, it's reading and writing. And those are fundamental cores to education. And my children... Didn't have the luxury of knowing how to do either to any degree for especially my oldest. She's really had to find ways to sort of survive the school system. She's thriving now in college, but it Yay. was weird. Yeah, exactly.
1: I bet. Do you think your advocacy has taught you anything that has benefited other parents?
0: For sure. I have a girlfriend who sort of goes back to what we're talking about, the emotional piece of those IEPs. Mm-hmm. I have a girlfriend who was on this IEP journey as well, and inevitably she'd get into those meetings and she would get so frustrated and would get emotional. She would lose track of what it was she was trying to say. She'd get flustered. Hmm. So I was her companion. I would go to those meetings with her because I had a really good sense of the legal piece, the language. Let me go back not a great sense of the legal piece, but at least (laughs) understood rights law, had a sense of some of the key pieces that I needed to know. Mm -hmm. I was able to really help her. Wasn't an an advocate per se, but I certainly was able to guide. If she lost track, I was able to step in and help sort of articulate what I knew she needed and wanted to say, but just wasn't able to do so. So
1: Mm, that's great.
0: Yeah. You know, it takes a village and it really does. It really, really does.
1: Oh, that's such a good idea. Even if she couldn't get a formal advocate, just have a buddy system. You could tag team for a moment if she had to, you know, pull herself together. Right. And the other great thing too, in, in those meetings, I would take notes
0: for her. And so it was good in that regard too, because what she would write and what I would write inevitably would be similar, but I heard things that maybe she didn't. And so it was really helpful she didn't tape record the meetings eventually she ended up doing so but on those some mm-hmm. of the first ones she didn't and that was really helpful because i pulled things out that were pretty valuable in relation to what she was sort of hearing too so it was it was fun to yeah. sort of look at those notes and say wait a minute this is what i heard this is what you heard this is what they're doing and you know interesting
1: yeah that's f- fascinating to think about what different interpretations sometimes we hear what we want to hear or we yes. fixate on the things that trigger big feelings and we miss the next five sentences exactly mhm so if you were just trying to give some top line advice to other parents who are just entering this special education world what would you say i would say especially in that early process to really get a teacher
0: advocate and again You are the expert when it comes to your child. So if your gut is saying something's not quite right, Mm -hmm. you've got to listen to that gut and partner with the teacher to figure out what's going on, if anything. So I would say really try to follow your gut, get that teacher advocate, reach out, support groups. You know, the internet is a wonderful place. Get support in that way, support groups, to figure out how to, to move through IEP process or your special education process in general and self-educate as best you can in the time allotted. If you can't be an expert, that's fine. But you can certainly try to surround yourself with, you know, a bit of knowledge so you're at least not just blind to the the process.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned rights law. Mm-hmm. Is that a resource that you've found mm-hmm. is really helpful?
0: For sure, there's a it, you know rights laws. It's a lot of legal stuff in there to a degree with that you maybe mm-hmm. don't understand, but it certainly it was a good thing for me to have it. I had it printed out all the time. I'd bring it to IEP meetings. I'd have tabs on it, just certain areas that I was like <laughs> to my kid, just to let them know that hey, I'm I'm doing my due diligence. You know, at the time, at the beginning of my journey, you know, dyslexia was not a word that was used in the school district in my area. Mm. It was just considered specific learning disability and then underscore dyslexia. But they would do a general, the remediation would be just specific learning disability. It wasn't specific to dyslexia. So there are a lot of times they were trying to teach my daughter still in a way that she couldn't learn. Mm. So it needed to be really specific. And so in the later portions of my son and my other daughter, dyslexia then was recognized. So then I would say dyslexia in the meetings and they'd say, no, 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 it's a specific learning disability. I'd be like, actually, no, (laughs) (laughs) it is dyslexia. And we can write the IEP with dyslexia, you know, as a main Not just an SL, you know, not just a specific learning disability. You could use actually the word dyslexia because in the early years you couldn't. So, you know, any Mm -hmm. knowledge I had with that. So Rights Law, that was a good piece. And, you know, just being aware of IDEA, all those, you know, all the American Disabilities Act and all that stuff was things I had to sort of read, not understand, Mm -hmm. at least have a base knowledge of them.
1: Yeah, just the top line. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm so impressed. And I think that you gave us, (laughs) you gave such a good overview of what this journey has been like for you. And it sounds like your kids are so lucky to have you. And I bet you have, you know, trained a lot of others along the way.
0: I hope so. Again, you know, I, I do take a lot of pride in being able to help people in that regard. I've had a lot of friends, who maybe, you know, my girlfriend, she's trying to figure this, something's wrong with Jimmy and can you help? And I've I've talked to more people, just here's where you start. And again, a key takeaway is don't ever lose hope because I certainly felt hopeless at times. I felt sort of beaten down by the system that I thought was there to help me and my kids. But all of these things, really have enhanced my kids' lives, the struggles. And again, I had one teacher tell me early on with my daughter, say, you know, the way in which she learns today isn't gonna be great for her until she gets to college. And when she gets to college, the way she processes and the way her brain works, she'll do great. And that's truly what's happened. I mean, my daughter just finished her freshman year at college and she ended with a 3-2. Now, my kid never got a 3-2, ever, oh. ever, ever, ever. And I didn't know for sure if she'd go to college. Mm-hmm. So again, you just can't lose hope and you just keep on keeping on.
1: Yeah, I love it. It's just, yeah. it's a lot of in, invisible work and mm-hmm. long-term, you know, sort of long-term gains. And that's true for your own kids and also just for looking at the other parents who, you know, who come after you. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Well, thank you, Karen. Absolutely. My pleasure. You've been listening to Wild Peace, a podcast created to bolster parents of kids who are struggling with mental health, learning issues, developmental differences, and more. If you'd like to suggest a guest or share your story, we would love to hear from you. Go to wildpeace.org. That's W-I-L-D. P-E-A-C-E to leave suggestions, see show notes from this episode, and explore more resources. You can also leave a message at 617-433-8582. Since this is a podcast, we especially love hearing your voice. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Just scroll down to those five purple stars and click... Your positive reviews will ensure that more parents who could use some wild peace can find us. This show is a production of Wild Peace for Parents, a nonprofit dedicated to helping parents find calm and build resilience. Because child well-being starts with parent well-being.